This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tusick. On today's episode, I speak with golfer Aaron Engels on uh, Twitter. You can find him at, at BTC Aaron. Um, that's two A's, A-A-R-O-N. Um, Aaron is an amateur golfer in the United States here. Um, and he's actually right now in the process of qualifying for the U.S. Open. Um, so hopefully by the time this comes out, uh, he will have made it to the U.S. Open. Um, and uh, so I wanted to talk to him about, you know, uh, golf in general, because I, I love golf. But uh, we also we really get into, you know, Bitcoin and, and there's some uh, similarities between golf and Bitcoin, you know, of uh, kind of how you were saying how you have your best rounds when you just keep your head down and and aren't really paying attention and focusing on the next shot, kind of like stacking sats, how that's the best way to get a return is to not, you know, pick your head up and look at any ups and downs, just, uh, you know, keep stacking sats. So, um, so yeah, we talked about that stuff and, uh, you know, I just, uh, got into different things and, and curious as to, you know, what his world is like being a Bitcoiner in the golf world. And, um, yeah, he also had some help, uh, you know, some good insight for anybody that's out there looking to, you know, potentially, you know, expand their, um, their talent stack and, you know, find different, avenues for income to to help generate more revenue um to get freedom away from being stuck at uh, one job that you might not be thrilled with so uh yeah we talked about that kind of stuff i hope you guys enjoy the show you can follow me on twitter at bitcoin simply and email the show bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com hope you enjoy thanks uh that's a new thing zoom did you hear that zoom just said like yeah yeah it popped up on my side it was like recording in progress um so it gave me the option to leave the meeting so it didn't record me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so the I'm like looking at the price of Bitcoin right now. And <laughs> do you think we're going to dip down? Because I'm trying to set a buy order right now. And where do you think we're going to dip to? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm too bullish to give price predictions. <laughs> I know. Me too. I'm like. I'm like, oh, well, there's no way. Like, I like panic. I, I had one tick off uh, Saturday or Sunday at 33.5. And I, yeah. I'd been waiting like six days for that. And yeah, I kept- so I, I sold a, a piece of real estate, a rental property that I had last, I think we closed uh, last Friday. And it was like perfect timing. I think I got some at like 31.5. Oh, <laughs> Put nice. some buy orders in after I got the proceeds from the real estate and, and dumped it in there and set some buy orders. Uh, yeah, the t- timing was perfect. It didn't matter when I sold the property. I was buying Bitcoin regardless of the price. But <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm too bullish to, to uh, I, I tweeted out earlier, um, when you understand there's only 21 million Bitcoin and there's infinite amount of dollars. Uh, when you really take that into perspective, it's hard to... Uh, to look think about dips too much that's why i can never trade bitcoin yeah uh, yeah and you can't once you see that you can't unsee it yeah you know yes. it's like it's a you know i'm gonna go with your good luck charm i'm gonna place a buy order at 31.5 <laughs> and i'm just gonna do that um i shook out the couch cushions found a little bit more dry powder there you go um, the uh but the um yeah, and once you see it, once you get wrap your head around that, it's just like that's it. 
Like, you, yeah, you, you never want to be on the other side of it. Yeah, you always want to be on the Bitcoin side. You never want to want to be in fiat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so I got to ask, um, how did you get into Bitcoin? Like, what was your original? You know, what, what got you into it to start? Yeah, so I guess I would go back to like Ron Paul. That was probably like the start of like kind of going down the libertarian rabbit hole. Um, I think I was in either just out of high school or in high school when they, when, when Ron Paul was campaigning and I remember starting to follow that, picking up on some of that stuff. And uh, that kind of got the ideology of libertarianism in my, in my head and got me thinking, you know, more logical about that kind of stuff. And then um, I remember joining some, like some, groups on Facebook that were, you know, kind of going further down the path. They were talking about Rothbard and Mises. And um, it was like an ANCAP, I guess, uh, voluntarist uh, groups that, you know, they got on there and they just talked about stuff and shared um, kind of literature that they were reading. But it seemed like, you know, nobody was really doing anything about it. Like the best option was to like buy gold and silver and bullets. And uh, it didn't really seem like anybody was actually making progress as far as like human freedom. Um, and then in 2015, I was watching a documentary about the deep web that was about Ross Albright and uh, the mm. Silk Road. And there was like a little, probably two or three minute, just little blurb in there about Bitcoin that kind of, it kind of touched on Bitcoin, but didn't really explain it. I'd heard about Bitcoin in like 2000, probably 2012, 2013 on a job site I was working and and some guy was buying drugs and I just kind of blew it off. But then in, <laughs> in, in 2015, when I saw that on the, on that documentary, um, I got a little bit more interesting because, but between the time that I'd first heard about it until that time, I had, I think I had read like the creature from Jekyll Island and I had done more studying about the monetary system. I remember watching uh, Mike Maloney's whole series on like the hidden secrets of money. And so he, and all that stuff made a lot of sense, but the solution was always like, go back to gold, but gold was, didn't really seem like, it didn't make sense to me that, that we would ever go back to using gold because like you can't do day-to-day transactions with gold. You can't just go yeah. to the store and shave off a little bit of gold to buy something. So it never really, <laughs> that it seemed like it seemed pretty far-fetched. Um, but then in, in 2015, I saw that documentary and, it just got me looking at it. But then my first inclination was to like figure out why it couldn't work. Like why, like how can you have something digital on the internet that's scarce? And so my first like dive into the rabbit hole was to kind of disprove Bitcoin. Like I was going to figure out why I could create more of it, or I was going to go create my own Bitcoin or create some Bitcoin. And, you know, three months later of like, of like, that's all I did was read about Bitcoin trying to figure it out. Uh, three months later, I was like totally sold on it and just, going back to all my buddies telling everybody about Bitcoin. I thought everybody would just kind of like catch on and it'd be like instant, but like people just ignore you. <laughs> they just oh, yeah. uh, think you're a crazy guy. And so, you know, when you're going down that rabbit hole, you, you look around at your friends and nobody's like, like thinking the same way. And so you pop up every once in a while, like, am I crazy? Or is that, I mean, does this make sense or am I crazy? So you have, have a lot of those moments as you're in the rabbit, as you're going down the rabbit hole, you're like learning, learning about Bitcoin and you're, it's kind of opens your eyes to other things. Um, yeah, that's how, kind of how I fell into it. it. Was just that that deep web documentary and that kind of kicked me off. And then it was like Andreas Antonopoulos videos every day, 
listening to podcasts. I, there weren't many podcasts back then, like Ansel Winder had one that Jay just talked about Bitcoin and markets. And uh, there were a few other um, uh, crypto and Bitcoin um, podcasts that I would listen to pretty regularly. But uh, that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. And that, so that was like pretty good timing, kind of re- led right into the 2017 bull run. And uh, that kind of like when that happened, it was like perfect timing for me because as I got into it, it was it was fairly inexpensive and I was still learning about it. And then I was like pretty validated. I was validated pretty soon after with the with the bull run of 2017 that like that maybe I was on to something. Yeah. And what time what was your entry point? Your first entry point? I would say like I started dabbling. I may have bought like a little bit of Bitcoin on Coinbase in like late 2015. Um, OK. Probably early, late, late 2015 or early 2016. Uh, the, the price was like three or four hundred bucks or something like that. But um, uh, the, you're you're one of the lucky ones to to get well, yeah. that early and think of, you know. Yeah, yeah, you say that, but like my conviction then wasn't near what it is now. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, if I if I knew what I know now back then, then you know, it'd be a totally different story. But so it was just like a little dabble. It was you know, might have bought like twenty five bucks worth here and played with it. And I remember like the aha moment. Uh, and then this was probably in 2016 when I bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase and then I sent it to like a paper wallet and then I sent it to like my phone and then I sent it back to a paper wallet and I was moving these, this Bitcoin around and I remember having it on this piece of paper and I thought, wow, this piece of paper has value. How weird is that? Like this, yeah. th- th- that I have these private keys and, and I can send this anywhere in the world. Nobody can stop it. And it's just on this piece of paper and I can hide this piece of paper in a book or something like that. You know, it was just that aha moment where it was. Uh, I realized that I had something that was a bearer asset that I could kind of move around and do whatever. I could just store it in my head or I could store it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of like the aha moment when I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty, uh, this pretty is pretty awesome. crazy. Yeah. So uh, did you have it like, just have the, um, like the, the seed phrase or the, no, I had, I created, so there was a website, it was called, um, maybe it was like bitaddress.org or something like that, you could go on this website and you could like, you would just move your mouse around and it was used the entropy. Well, you would download the website and then you could move it to like a computer that wasn't online. Like you'd, you'd put it on a USB and I remember moving it to a laptop and I was kind of paranoid at the time. Like I had a printer that I destroyed after I printed it off. Um, (laughs) You know, I didn't really understand anything, which I was probably right to do so. I had it on a You were ahead of your time there. (laughs) Yeah. I had it on a computer that wasn't connected to the internet and then I didn't put the, put the website in and it would just, it would just, I guess the, it would use the algorithm and you could move the mouse around or you could do different things and it would create entropy and it would generate public private key pairs. And then uh, you could print it off on the printer and then I would destroy the I destroyed the printer after I printed a couple off. And then, uh, yeah, so it was just creating, it was actually like the public private key pair and you could fold it up where you couldn't see the private key and put some tape on it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was like the first thing I found to like how to store Bitcoin was I remember just looking at a YouTube video. It was like how to create a Bitcoin wallet. And it was um, some guy describing how to make a paper wallet. And that was like my first uh, first wallet that I had. That's wild. It's uh, it's funny because uh, I was texting with uh, Guy Swan about, you know, just like different ways to store the private keys and um, and all that kind of stuff. You know, and he mentioned like, oh, you know, you could actually get like those you know, the steel and like basically how they like engrave the Stanley cup where they yeah. like pound, like with letters, they like pound the letters into the steel. And, um, and then, uh, 
you know, he's like, but then, you know, you run the risk of if somebody finds it and they have your seed phrase, you know, he's like, so you could like mix it up and have different words in different places or like scattered about, you know, yeah. and he stopped me from, I mean, I wasn't actually going to do it, but I said, I was like, um, I was like, well, what if I got like a tattoo of the, <laughs> the seed phrase, you know, and he was like, well, it wouldn't take too long for people to crack that if they, yeah. if they got that. And I was like, yeah, good point. And then we were just j- kind of joking about like, if you keep like forgetting your seed phrase or something, so you keep having to like change it yeah. and your whole body ends up being like tattooed, <laughs> like just have like words all over you, like stuff scratched out. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. that's like uh, one thing about Bitcoin security is you, is it's really kind of like very personal, but you, you kind of go, you have to like kind of think through like, uh, this is my, here's my seed phrase. Like think about every kind of risk to that seed phrase. And so it's not, there's not like a one size fits all like security approach, but you have to think about like what could happen. And then you try to mitigate against like anything that could happen to your, like how you could lose your Bitcoin. So first thing you want to do is like mitigate against like your own, like if you're, you, you screw something up yourself. So you want to be careful there, but then you, you would need to mitigate against like flood or fires or someone breaking into your house and getting a hold of your seed phrase. And so then you start thinking about like different locations to store it. So it's really just like a, its own rabbit hole where you're just trying to think through everything that could happen and then mitigate against it and then think through like the next stage. And so there's a lot of people that do that on, on Twitter and you kind of think about like the risk or the threat models to your, to your seed phrase. But yeah, I, I've, I've used the steel like stamping stuff in steel before done some of that. And, uh, use multi-sig and um so i mean it's all personal how, how you should how you want to do it you really shouldn't really even talk about your security that like that'd be the, the first step is not not to talk about it. yeah oh yeah no I'm, I'm with you there that's why i was like okay all right not tattooing so i'm gonna figure out something else and i mean i, I thought i had that same thought too because whenever i was like texting guy i was like he's probably like you know everybody does their own thing you know like it's like if i if somebody asked me how to store their keys i would not tell them how i did it i'd be like you know i'd be like oh there's some i mean because there's there like you said there's a bunch of options yeah um yeah there's not a one size fits all this is basically depends on your situation like if you're if you have your own citadel you know then maybe it's safe to keep your keys at your at your place you know if you if you feel like it's secure but then if you you know, if you're kind of mobile and you move around and you live in an RV, you know, maybe it's not the best place to keep your keys. So yeah, yeah, you have to really think about your own situation and how, uh, think through how like anything that could happen and just try to mitigate against those, those chances. Maybe, um, as I near the end of my life, you know, like when I'm much older, I'll, I'll spend my retirement creating like a national treasure type, like search for everything. Um, (laughs) just for my just for my kids and like grandkids to look for like you know just to be like hey like you know uh this is dad's final gift for you you have a fun adventure uh and then like halfway through it they'll be like cursing me because they'll be like why did he make it so hard you know good just just gave it to us yeah i remember Um, the first time that i like i had some i had i bought some bitcoin and it was like probably during 2017 and I remember the first time I got on like an airplane afterwards and I was like, man, if this airplane crashes and my wife can't figure this out. So I like, I had like this full list of instructions and it was hidden. So she couldn't find it unless she really started going through the stuff, like on how to get access to the Bitcoin, but I didn't want her to have it just 
in case she wanted to do something. You know, I wanted her to make sure that something happened to me before she got her hands on it. Um, <laughs> it was pretty nerve wracking, though, like the first time, like you're doing something where like, you know, if something happened to me, even though plane crashes are pretty rare. But <laughs> that was my yeah. that was, some of my thoughts were like, what if something happened to me on this trip? And uh, I'm not there to like help her find this. So I like I remember like writing down like a full list of instructions on how she could access it. And it was, basically it was like, reach out to somebody who can help you with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Find an expert and yeah. someone that you can trust. Yeah. Um, so, uh, all right. So I got to ask then, um, how does, how is Bitcoin going through the golf world? Cause you're, well, give a little background to the audience on like your golf experience and, and, you know, yeah how where you are as a golfer and all that kind of stuff okay so i didn't i didn't i played golf you know kind of as a hobby when i was younger like probably 13 14 years old my dad used to take me out to the golf course and we'd play but i didn't really play competitive golf and i had a lot of other interests he wanted me to play but i didn't i was playing football and doing all kinds of other stuff and so i came to I came to college on a football scholarship. I was playing tight end at a small school in Tennessee and um, uh, the golf team was terrible. And I was like, well, I can play, I can like hit the ball. I'm all right. And so I walked Mm -hmm. on the golf team. They were, they wanted warm bodies on the golf team so they can make a team. And uh, I went out for the first year I was playing football and golf and I was terrible at golf. I was shooting eighties and nineties in the tournaments. Not, not very good. Uh, but this was while I was going to two days and practicing. And then Hugh Freeze, uh, I don't know if you know that name. He he was a head coach at Ole Miss eventually. He he started his coaching career at the school I was at. He came in and he started recruiting like some really good athletes to play football. And I, mm-hmm. I remember one day I looked around and I was like, I'm never going to be able to play on this team. Like these guys are going to kill me. And uh, so uh, I just decided at that point I was going to like focus on golf and like try to be you know I had I felt like I had a better future if I just played golf versus playing football I know I wasn't going to be any good at football um but so I, I just like focused on golf I woke up every morning at like 6 30 before class started in college and I would go out to the practice range and I would practice and just worked on my game uh for four years and eventually I won uh, I think I won three college tournaments um but by the time mm-hmm. I graduated so I went from shooting like in the eighties and nineties to shooting under par pretty consistently. You know, I was going, I was going out of these tournaments and shoot, you know, maybe even par and then a couple under on the second, the next couple of rounds and winning. Um, and so that gave me some confidence. And when I, but when I got out of school, I didn't really have any money, but I wanted to play golf. And so I turned pro immediately and went down to. Sorry. It's a, it, for, it froze right. Whenever you said you turned pro. Oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, when I turned pro, um, I uh, went down to Georgia and was playing on this uh, mini tour in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I was broke. I didn't have any money. Um, I was just trying to get by. And so it was expensive to play in these tournaments. So I was having to like find ways to get money. I was, it was a thousand dollars a week to play plus, you know, your expenses, travel expenses. And if you won, you didn't, you know, you, you won, you know, 10 grand. It was like not enough to really keep you going. And I got, you got paid a thousand bucks. Yeah, you pay. You had to pay a thousand dollars to play, and if you won, you oh, got ten thousand. If you finished in the top five, you might get your money back. And so it was just basically legalized gamb- or golf gambling. Um, there was no sponsorship money, and I, I I wasn't ready. I didn't have the money to go to Q school or anything at the time. So I went back to work and basically got burned out on golf and hung my golf clubs up and didn't play for four or five years. Um, just 
was completely burnt out after that grind of trying to make, make enough money to keep going. Um, and those guys down there were like, I wasn't quite ready for like the talent level they had. I mean, I was going out there and shooting a couple under par and finishing like middle of the pack at best. They were shooting ridiculously low scores on these golf courses. And so I went back to work and um, got into construction. And then a few years, like four or five years later, I kind of got, I got a little bit more financial stability and, and uh, settled down. And I was able to start playing a little bit again and really like the freedom of not having to play for money and not the grind of, of that tournament golf kind of freed me up. And in 2018, like I had one of my best years ever. I won first, I won like a, a tournament in Kentucky, a pretty good size tournament in Kentucky. Then I went, I won the Tennessee state am and, uh, and then just kind of got on a roll. And I think I won like four or five big, pretty good size tournaments in a row in 2018 after getting my amateur status back. And then, uh, and so that's kind of where I am now. I've, I've, still playing in kind of like these high level amateur tournaments, like uh world, like uh nationally ranked amateur golf stuff. Like it's called the cocktail tour for uh, mid amateur golfers. And uh, now, right now I'm kind of, if you ever watch the movie 10 cup, that's what I'm going through right now where he has to go through qualifying for us open. I've made it through the first stage where, you know, the first stage was there was 80 players and you're playing for uh, five spots. Um, and so I made it through that. And then my next stage is, uh, I'm hoping it's going to be, I will find out today. It should be in Jupiter, Florida, just North of the conference in Miami. And it's like two days after the conference. So I'm going to fly yeah. down to the conference, practice up a little bit while we're down there and then, uh, go try to get through final qualifying for the U S open and, uh, in Jupiter. And if I get through that, we'll be playing at Torrey Pines. So. so that's awesome. Um, have you played in the U S open before? No, no, I've, I've tried, th- I've tried this qualifying three times, uh, but the first two times I didn't make it through the first stage. And so this is my first time through the, through the first stage of qualifying. Nice. So you, um, so then how many, how many are going down to Jupiter, Florida? Um, we won't know until I think today at like five o'clock, they're going to release the, the, the fields. So there's, I, there's like 12, I think there's 12 different qualifying sites and, um, maybe 500 guys playing in those 12, 12 sites. So it'll probably be, you know, 70 or 80 people in each site playing for five spots or six spots, something like that. Okay. So you'll, yeah. So you'd be about 50, 60 people, something like that. Yeah, probably. And then you got, uh, so this is, they call this the longest day in golf. What's going to, what's coming out. It's on June 7th, but it's, you got to walk. It's 36 holes in one day and you tee off at seven in the morning you play your first round and then you get a small lunch break and then you tee off in the afternoon and you play and it's just, it's a grind. Like, yeah, uh, there's probably, it'll probably be 15 or 20 people who after the first round they've played bad and they withdraw. They don't want to go play the second round just because everybody's exhausted, but uh, yeah. the longest day in golf at the end of the day, at the end of that day on June 7th, like they'll have the whole U S open field set. Okay. Um, well, it's funny the U S open. So I actually, um, I live right next to the Oakmont country club, like pretty close. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. you know, we're in Pittsburgh where the, they have the U S open there like once every 10 years. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, they say it's the hardest putting green. Um, like, I don't know if you've ever like been there or like, or seen, you know, what, remember watching the U S opens there, but they say yeah. it's like putting on a sheet of glass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I remember Oakmont. See who won last at Oakmont. It was, was it Dustin? I think it was Dustin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may have been. Yeah. And then uh 
and then in 2007 it was um tiger lost to uh oh was it on hell cabrera on hell cabrera yeah 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 that's right um yeah it's so it's so funny just because it's like you know once every 10 years like the entire golf world like just comes down on you know this little small town outside of pittsburgh and um and uh and it's fun but like even yesterday like we were we actually um we're driving past it um and my son who has like a little set of golf clubs he's five um but he's got his set and he loves the driving range and all that kind of stuff and um and uh we're driving past it and I pointed out the golf course. I said, that's the one, you know, that's remember, you know, I mean, cause we see lots of golf courses. I'm like, that's the one, you know, that's the one where all the guys play on TV, you know, and he asked, when's it going to be next? And I was like, I forget, but I think it's in like seven years. It'll be back. And I said, don't worry, we're going like, I've already, yeah. I've already processed that. Like we're going, like we're booking the tickets. I've budgeted. We're, you're going to be there when you're, he's going to be like 12 or 13 or something like that. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. It should be like prime age for like yeah. a young golfer to go, you know, hopefully see like, you know, Jordan Spieth and whoever's new and, you know, like yeah, maybe some legends hanging on, like uh, maybe Tiger will have, you know, his like senior tour, like where he'll be out there. And yeah, you know, well, heck you can't count him out now with Phil. Phil just won he's at age 50. That's, it was pretty unbelievable. I know, I know. My cousin's a huge um, Phil fan because he's a lefty as well. Yeah. Um, so I used to like give him a hard time before Phil won the Masters in 2004. I uh, I used to like just rag him and say like, "Oh, Phil's a loser. He'll never win." Um, and then, and then even whenever he did win that Masters, that uh, I said he had like the sissiest celebration I've ever seen out of a golfer. <laughs> like his jump he like jumped but his like legs came out like sideways and kind of landed like on his it was just like i remember being like <laughs> well that was the he he won and then did that jump and kind of ruined it like yeah, it would have been yeah. better if he would have just not made the cut and then doing <laughs> that jump so uh but yeah no it feels it feels incredible um yeah. and uh and i love that a couple years ago was at the u.s open whenever he did the when he was having such a bad round and like his ball started coming back down the hill towards him and he just hit it like any, any other person would, you know? Yeah. He so, was just showing his ass there. It was that, like, if you, if you really thought about the rules, he could have let that putt keep going and then just taken an unplayable lie. And you can always go back to where you played your last stroke from. He could have just come back and placed his ball back there and then yeah. re, re it, you know, it would have cost him less strokes than him slapping the putt while it was moving. But yeah, he just do. He wanted to, uh, to kind of be every man's man, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. we've all been we all there. we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I gotta ask you then, because this is um, my quest to stay in competitive stuff. Um, like I'm 35. How old are you? 35. Okay. All right. So we're the same age. Yeah. Um, uh, and I I tell my wife all the time like there's different things i'm like yeah i can go pro and like anything you know like it's gonna happen <laughs> like i haven't accepted that my hockey career is over like i played i played at the university of pittsburgh um we were like we're not like we were in varsity we were a club but if anybody watches the club like there's really good um like you know d1 club um yeah uh so so you know but we weren't like the next tier and like when it came to like playing after college it was like 
I could go play somewhere quote unquote professionally and like literally pay, make like seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars a year and yeah. like have to be like painting houses on the side. And, yeah. you know, it was like I had my chance to get into my movie career. So I just went for it. Um, yeah. But that sounds uh, like that sounds a lot like mini tour golf. You know, you go out there and you, you starve to death trying to play golf and hoping you make it up. So, yeah. yeah. And like and my big thing was at the level I was playing at, you were like or would have played at you would you would supplement the farm teams when the farm teams had guys get called up. And it's not yeah. like baseball where there's like triple A, double A, single A. And like if you're in single A in baseball, you have a chance like, you know, they're just working your way up like yeah. In, in hockey, if you're not in the AHL, like the direct minor leagues, like you're not going up. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So anyways, the um, so ever since then, though, like I keep saying, because Mario Lemieux was my favorite player and he retired and then came back at the age of 35. Um, so I keep telling my wife until I get past that, like then I'll like when I hit 36, then I'll be like, OK, because right now in my mind, I'm like, you know, Lemieux came back. She's yeah. like, yeah, but he was like the best player in the world. Like, yeah, and yeah, you get, we get to this age. I was thinking about it the other day. Like I'm, I'm older than almost every NFL player, you know, we'd be, yeah. <laughs> we'd be like the oldest NFL player. <laughs> I know. I know. It is weird to it's, think about. Yeah. It was funny because I was uh, I interviewed sean calkin and was like talking to him about like players i knew that played in the nfl that like friends with and stuff and i was like um yeah i mean they're all not in the league anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh like lashawn mccoy I mean, i'm not friends with lashawn mccoy but he um he was at he was at pit with me and he just retired recently yeah. um and i think that was pretty much like the last one um of like anybody that i could be remotely connected to that's in the nfl yeah. still um yeah so it's it's kind of funny but anyway so mike so i gotta ask what are the odds that i could become a professional golfer um because or at least a a high-ranking amateur golfer so um i'll give you my credentials so i played hockey so that's what got me into golf because it's yep. pretty natural transition um and for anyone listening, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just, you know, I'm not a great golfer, but I can hit the ball. Like my drive is on average, like 340 yards. Wow. Um, and mostly straight, but probably not like, that's the thing though, is like when you're playing public courses, it's probably not straight enough to be like playable on, you know, like a, like a U.S. open course yeah. or something like that. Um, there's all those factors that you have to play, but it, last summer I went with my father-in-law and the one hole I hit the far, I literally hit the farthest drive I'll hit my life probably. And I remember like, I use like trackers and stuff to like keep the distance. Um, but when I hit it, I said to him, I, I said, that's the farthest golf ball I've ever hit in my life. And, um, and we measured it out and it was 374 yards. Wow. And, and then the next shot. I this is where I struggle is like playing the the irons and the fairway stuff like that, um, and I dropped it like and it bounced straight up and landed right next to the pin, and and then I just you know sank it for a birdie on like and it was like it was only a par four but it was a really long par four, yeah and it was right next to the clubhouse and I was like all these people probably think I'm like some pro because they just saw this ball like <laughs> drop from the tee shot and they're like oh my god like. 
Um, so, but so I've been wondering since then, cause then after that we go home and we're like watching on TV, you know, and I'm like, like most of my drives are longer than these yeah. pros. Like, yeah. like, and it's like, and it started playing mind tricks with me where you're just sitting there. You're like, wait a minute. Like, come on. If I can hit it farther than these guys, yeah. like, what do I have to do to be in a competitive like arena there so go ahead and shoot my dreams down and tell me that it's not possible well golf it's not it's not about how far you drive it it's about how many strokes you take to get it in the hole (laughs) so yeah yeah, Yeah. your short game like driving is very important you know a lot of people downplay driving they say the putter is the most important but whatever you hit off the tee is probably the most important club you're going to hit that on that hole because you have to get it in play and that's why mm-hmm. a lot of the professionals, a lot of pro- professionals could hit it further than they do, but they know how important it is to hit it in the fairway or to hit it in play. And so a lot of people, you know, I've, I've played a lot of golf in college and stuff with guys who hit it a long way. And as they went on to play more like more competitive golf later in life, they start dialing it back. And so you're trying to dial it back a little bit with, and then get it make sure that you get it in play so it's better to be 300 yards in the middle of the fairway every time mm-hmm. than 340 yards but two out of three of them are in the rough or out of play or you know yeah. you, you just can't lose those shots so a lot of people do will start down it back but that's one thing that you cannot you, it's hard to do on golf is it's hard to gain the power if you have the power it's easy to dial back and and put it in play and hit the fairway it's hard to go the other way if you're somebody who can only hit it 260 it's hard to pick up those extra 20 30 yards to to be in competitive in the field mm-hmm. with, uh, with other players who are, you know, cause most people I'd say most pros, but you hit it between 280 and 300, uh, the anomalies out there like Dustin Johnson and Bryson and Rory, those guys, they hit it further than everybody. But then, you know, the majority of the field, um, is hitting between 280 and 300. Uh, so, I mean, driving is important, but it's really the one thing that those guys do that's, that's, people don't understand is how good their short game is. If they, mm-hmm. if they're in around the green and they're like, have a decent look at it. If they get short sided, sometimes they can't get it up and down or if they get a bad break, but if they're around the green, they're getting it up and down a lot. They're chipping in a lot and they're holding mm-hmm. a lot of putts. Um, they're not, they're not giving away a lot of shots around the green. That's usually the biggest difference. Uh, some of the best golfers I've ever played with, they, when they roll a putt, it looks like it's going in every time. Like mm-hmm. every time they hit a putt, doesn't matter if it's 30 feet, 40 feet, it looks like it's going in the hole. Like it's when you're playing against them and you got some money on the line, every time they hit a putt, you kind of pucker up a little bit watching that ball roll. Yeah. You don't know it's going in and it, and you know, it'll skirt by the edge there. That's some of the, like everybody who's ever gone on to do pretty good things in golf. Like, you know, that's what tiger tiger, he came out as like this great ball striker and he did, he hit a great. But if you look at like when he putted in clutch situations, he made a ton of putts. Yeah. And so you have to be able to get the ball in the hole. And that usually, you know, it's a, it's like goes back to like your wedge game. Like if your short irons are good, you can hit it closer to the hole. That's going to help you make more putts. If you, if you know, your mid irons, your score, anything under like your eight iron and down, like eight iron, nine iron, a wedge, and then your all your, your sand wedges and stuff, you need to be hitting those pretty close to the hole pretty consistently Mm -hmm. because it's going to give you the most looks at birdie. But that's what those guys do so good is they're so good at like, if they're inside a hundred yards, you could probably like just say, they're going to get this ball up and down, you know, 60, 80% of the time. Whereas your average golfer is just trying to get it on the green and two putt and hope they make a par. 
Um, yeah. But those guys are getting it up and down. They're making birdie, you know, a lot of the time uh, when they get inside 100 yards. And so that's like you're scoring – like if you drive it good, you can – it may limit the, the high score you can shoot. So if, you're, if you drive it in the fairway every time, you're not going to shoot a lot of high scores because you're going to be able to get it up around the green. But your wedges and your putter, they determine how low you can go. So mm-hmm. if you can get it in play and then you can get it up and down, uh, that's going to, that's when you have those rounds that are in the mid 60s and the low 60s. Those are the ones where you're hitting it in the, in the fairway, but then you're, you're getting it, you're hitting it close and you're making a lot of putts. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, you know, if you can get that dialed in, you know, if you can really dial in your irons and hit your irons to the number that you want. So if you've got 160, you need to know that you're hitting it 160. You don't hit some 170 or some 150. You hit it 160 every time. And then, and then become a world-class putter and you got a chance. <laughs> That's all. That's all. Yeah. Then become a world-class putter and then I have a chance. Yeah. Um, that was yeah, some I of mean, the biggest thing that changed in my golf game. When I went from being bad, not bad, I was okay. I, I could hit it okay. But to win in tournaments was a, a mindset shift in putting. When I putted, like I used to putt and I was kind of scared of three-putting or I was afraid I was going to hit it too far by but then I had a shift in mindset and it was like, I'm going to put everything to make it. And then whatever happens after that happens. So if I, if I try to make it and it goes four feet by, you know, instead of, you know, rolling on there to tap in, then that's fine. But I'm trying to make every putt. And when you switch that mindset to like, you're focusing on the hole and you're really trying to make every putt, uh, you putt a lot better that way. Okay. Cause that's my mindset's always like, I draw like, you know, a two foot circle around the putt of the hole. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, just get it in there and then, you know, tap it in. I'll be good. Yeah. Cause if you're aiming for a two foot circle and you miss by two feet, you're four feet from the hole. If you yeah. aim at the hole and miss by two feet, you're two feet from the hole. So yeah, always putt to make it. It's uh, in the, the movie, the Patriot Mel Gibson says aim small, miss small. Yeah, that's Remember right. It? Um, okay. So really um, when I, when I'm inside of a hundred yards or really inside of about 120 yards, I'm trying to make every shot. So if I'm hitting a wedge from 120 yards, I'm aiming at the hole and I'm trying to make the shot. And because I know mm-hmm. if I miss it, my misses are going to be closer than if I'm aiming at a section of the green or a side of the green or somewhere near the hole. You know, so once you get inside 100, 120, 140 yards, whatever you're comfortable with, you should be aiming at the hole, trying to make every shot. Okay. So it sounds like basically too, with the irons and everything, you just got to, like basically practice 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 of like basically striking the ball the same every time knowing how far it's going to go yeah Um, yeah distance control is huge that's one thing that a lot of amateurs don't understand is their distance they they don't really know how far their irons go they don't know or or they don't they hit them inconsistently they hit some 10 15 yards further than than one swing goes a lot further than the other and so you have to be able to dial in that distance control but yeah i mean you should probably go to like a PGA professional and have them look at your swing and see what's, you know, if your swing's good and if you've got anything going on, you need to fix. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of like inconsistency can come from a lot of different parts of the golf swing. Um, mm-hmm. It could be in setup. It could be in transition. It could be in your grip. Um, but, and that's hard to, hard to fix if you're just practicing hitting balls. If you're just hitting it every time, you may be compensating for something that's strong in your swing. You may need to get that, that checked out. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, this is be like the last thing my wife wants to hear. Cause it's like, 
as if we don't like have enough going on in life um you know but uh, i'm gonna be like oh man yeah no he's right i'm gonna go get with a pro and sit there and, <laughs> and have him break down my swing yeah. we're gonna figure this out and i mean i love a challenge and anything like that yeah. where it's like where i'm like yeah dude like uh, let's let's do this if i have the if i have the raw talent you know like i'd love for somebody to be like all right like let's polish you up and you know because it's funny like whenever you have a good round of golf i've i've shot in the 70s a couple times um you know so it, it it's not like i'm killing it with the irons and and putting but like whenever you when you shoot well i always tell people like it's so funny whenever you're playing well and you're shooting like under bogey golf you're just like yeah like it, it's so simple you just hit the ball into the fairway yeah. And then chip it onto the green, and then yeah. you know two putt. Maybe you you one putt sometimes. Like you yeah, know, it's, like, it's a simple yeah, game. Some of the, some of the, yeah, some of the best rounds of golf I've had is when I get I get through playing, and the guys I'm playing with say like, "Great round, man." I'm like, I really didn't feel like I do any did anything. I just you know it was it was easy that day. I'd not hit it on a lot of greens and made some putts here and there. Like I, I just remember playing vividly with some of my buddies uh, not too long ago. And I think I hit all 18 greens and shot 65, um, seven under at our course and didn't feel like I did anything special. Just was hitting yeah. a lot of greens, hitting a lot of fairways and uh, made a few putts here and there and birdied a couple of par fives. And and I didn't I didn't really know where I was, but you kind of get into the zone when you're playing well. And if you can stay in that mental framework of seeing every shot and, you know, playing with confidence, it that's how you really – shoot your best scores if you start thinking about your golf swing and thinking about like your score and all this stuff that's it's kind of detrimental to your to your score at the end of the day yeah it starts to make you unravel yeah um so the um okay so the so we're gonna play golf at some point um okay and i might hit the ball really far um but then the rest of it will be terrible um <laughs> so uh yeah it's just it, I, I do love going to like the range though and like yeah just absolutely bombing it like you know the one the one range near us um the farthest sign is like 250 um and then it's like all woods after that and and um so it's just fun whenever you sit there because i just go there for fun but then like when you hit like 10 straight into like the woods beyond everything like everybody's like starts looking at you I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> i had a great slap shot so you know yeah. that probably has something to do with it yeah um yeah that's one uh, thing about golf is to be really good at it you have to love the process of getting better at golf like it's not about like there's like when i when i went from being uh decent to being really good at golf i didn't really think about you know my scores it was more that I enjoyed getting up every day and going to the golf course and practicing and working and trying to get better. It's like, like that love of the process, kind of like Bitcoin. You got to stay humble and stack sats, keep your head down and just, you know, keep accumulating. It's the same, same mindset where you're staying patient and you're going out every day and practicing and you're enjoying the process more than you are like the, ter- the rounds that you're posting. Yeah. Uh, you they kind of follow. Yeah. They follow you like the, the good scores and the good tournament results kind of follow just staying patient and like loving the process of getting better. That's a great analogy for Bitcoin. Cause it really is like the great gains are going to come from just being patient. Yeah. And that's like this morning um, I, I tweeted cause uh, 
I, I, you know, that buy order at the beginning that I went to place, um, you know, it's just like this funny mindset, not that I doubt placing a buy order, or like risking more money or whatever. Um, but like, that's what I, I put a poll out and said, did in on May 28th, 2022, will Bitcoin be more or less than $40,000, you know? And like, in my mind, I'm like, no doubt over 40, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's no question. So it's like, well, then why am I concerned about ma- placing a buy order in like the thirties? Like what, like, there's nothing to be concerned with. So I kind of did that to see what sentiment is like, what people are going to say yeah. and hope, hopefully it's overwhelming. Like, you know, that it's going to be over. Cause I want to teach people basically the lesson of like, okay. So like, you know, act accordingly, you know, I mean, yeah. there's like, you know, 21 people voted on it so far and it's 81% over 40 K. So it's like, yeah. it's like, well, if that's your thought, then act accordingly, you know, like yeah. plan accordingly. Cause you're not looking at it for a one month game. I actually wanted to say like in 2030, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's harder. It's easier to get people to, to do the one year. Um, so, uh, so being, so you do, I mean, when you're an amateur, do you make money playing golf? Like, or it, do you make a, can you make a living at it or no, no. Yeah. That was, so when I, once I got kind of financially established and I, I started a business and I kind of do some other investing investment stuff that gave me the flexibility to play, to kind of have my own schedule. And I wasn't trying to make money playing golf. And so there's a difference, like, so high, high level amateur golf is probably just as good or better than like the mini tours and the low, mm-hmm. you know, the, some of the professional golf. But the difference is when you're an amateur, um, you, you don't, you're not playing for prize money. You're playing for, you know, basically silver platters and trophies and, and maybe mm-hmm. a little gift shop credit. I think, you know, you can win up to $750 in credit. So you can't make a living doing it but you get to play some of the best golf courses. Um, mm-hmm. All of the you really play good, for free or. No, it co- I mean, you have to pay tournament fees, but they're not a thousand dollars a week They're You know, you're paying 150, 200 bucks to play in a golf tournament, but you're playing uh, your best just, courses. Yeah. And you're playing some unbelievable golf courses. The, the courses that I've gotten to play as an amateur playing in amateur tournaments were, you know, 10 times better than any, any t- course that I got to play as a professional. Um, we get to play some like really exclusive private golf courses that are well manicured and uh, really prestigious, the, just courses that are hard to get onto. If you, if you're wanting to just go play it as a public and you're not a member and you don't know a member, like they're almost impossible to get on these golf courses, but they'll host an amateur tournament. And if you're qualified or if you get invited to these tournaments, you get to go play some really special golf courses. Um, mm-hmm. There was one up in Kentucky. It's uh, there's a course called idle hour. And I never heard of it. It sounded, I mean, it, it was just, I got an invitation to go play a tournament there after I won the state am and, you know, kind of started digging into it and there wasn't a lot about it. There wasn't a lot about the golf course uh, publicly. And uh, so I talked to somebody who knew about it and they said, you need to go play in that. And so I signed up and went up there and playing it. And you, you go through, you pull up into the parking lot and it's kind of, kind of a rundown parking lot with an old fence. It's just really old school. And they have this old clubhouse that's, not a whole lot to look at, but then you go through the clubhouse and you pop out in the back of the back of the uh, golf course and onto the, you see the the putting green and the driving range, and then you look out and you see like it's almost it's like the most beautiful piece of land that I've ever seen on the earth. It's like perfectly manicured uh, fairways and greens, 
And uh, that was one of the best golf courses, probably the best golf course that I've ever played. And it was just because I got invited to this play in this tournament. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I was if I was a professional or if I was doing it for a living, you know, I'd never get that opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. The um, you know, and like I love it's thinking of like old school golf. Did you ever see the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance? Yeah, it's like, been a while. I love that movie because I love old school golf. I love old school things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like Fenway, Fenway Park and, yeah. you know, Wrigley and, you know, but I love like uh, there, there's a great sequence whenever uh, Will Smith is talking to Matt Damon and telling him to watch the other guy prepare to swing and like just the mental process he goes through. I love that. But yeah, I, I love um, I love that. So what's the what's the best course or what's the most famous course, I guess? that you've ever played on because you just answered the best course, but the most famous course I got probably like Beth page black. Uh, we were driving through one year and played there. Um, you ever play Pebble beach? I have not played Pebble beach. I haven't played out West much. Um, played kind of up the East coast and played a lot in Florida, played PGA national a couple of times. Um, the, the best golf courses were either Idlehour in Kentucky or, um, Chenal in Little Rock, Arkansas is a really good golf course. And then um, the Country Club of Birmingham, the West Course, is pretty unbelievable. It's it's one of the toughest, most well-manicured golf courses I've played. Um, uh, um, Old Waverly. Old Waverly is pretty famous. It's They play, played the women's – U.S. Women's Open there and played a couple of USGA events there. Um, but, yeah, I think the, probably the most famous, the most well-known would be Bethpage Black. Played it, played it from the back tip, played out there. I knew it was a hard golf course, decided I wanted to test it. And we, we walked out there and I played on the very back box, <laughs> you know, to stretch it out. It was like 8,000 yards from back there. And uh, I think I turned, I shot 38 on the front and was going to the back. And I got, I had one bad hole and I think I shot 80, <laughs> but I had uh-huh. one, it was like one hole. I got it in a bad spot and ended up making like a, seven or an eight which is easy to do out there oh i'm sure yeah yeah but yeah yeah that's what i look at uh i look at oakmont whenever i like drive by i'm like you know the church pew like bunk like uh bunkers and i'm like oh my god i would be like in behind that thing like someday (laughs) i'm gonna get like you have to be you know obviously be a member to to go and and uh get invited so i'm like one of these days like somebody's gonna invite me to play there it's always funny when people are like, hey, you want to play at this country club? And you're like waiting. You're like, uh, is it going to be the one? And then they like mention one of the other ones. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. OK, that's nice. You know, but <laughs> thanks for yeah. inviting me. Sure. Um, but yeah, those church pews or something, I'll be all over the place and, and it'll be horrific. And it'll it's a humbling game. Um, yeah, it, it yeah for sure. you have a lot of expectations when you show up at a golf course and <laughs> they usually fall apart pretty quick if you're not ready for it. Which is funny because it's like, again, it's just kind of like Bitcoin. It's a very humbling investment process. Um, Have you found, are there a lot of other golfers that are into Bitcoin or? Um, Yeah. I mean, my buddies, the friends that I've eventually convinced uh, of Bitcoin, but most, I would say most golfers are not in a financial position where they need Bitcoin. And so they don't see it right away. It takes a little bit, you know, whereas somebody who grew up in, you know, most golfers grew up pretty well off. They didn't really have financial hardships or anything. A lot of people, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying not all golfers are like that, but, um, um, so 
most of the people that I know are still pretty skeptical about Bitcoin. Most of the people in the golf world, which I've convinced several of them that they should own a little bit anyway, but they're probably not as orange pilled as I am or have gone as deep down the rabbit hole yet. What you need to do is get Tiger Woods to be orange pilled. I mean, if Tom <laughs> Brady can be orange pilled, then yeah, then Tiger Woods. Because when you that when you when you got that much money, you got it. I feel like he's on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, okay, like a lot of the guys are well off, but when you're when you're Tiger Woods, like you got to be thinking like, okay, like how am I going to protect this thing? Because yeah. obviously, if they're going to print money into oblivion then then i gotta do something about this yeah or we need to get ricky fowler with the uh orange jumpsuit on you know he he likes to wear that orange just put a bitcoin logo on it and ready to go so if if you make the u.s open then um are you going to wear a bitcoin themed yeah Yeah, i'm going to have a pre-plan head to toe don't have anything picked out yet but uh yeah when we get in we're going bitcoin head to toe i'm gonna put bitcoin logo on the golf bag I'm gonna have my caddy wearing Bitcoin stuff too, so we'll uh, we'll go. I have to I have to Bitcoin. I have to talk to designer because uh, I I I don't I'll claim that I coined it. I'm sure somebody else has said this because a lot of people always say that Bitcoin is the separation of money and uh, state. But I thought like, what if it was the separation of person state? Because you know they always say church and state, so person yeah. state. Um, so I, I want to make like a T-shirt and get like a design. Um, yeah. But yeah, maybe maybe I could sponsor you or something like that. You know, <laughs> figure out a way to to or get the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast on the on the on your bag and yeah, and, uh, you know, figure something out. So when you do, you have a dedicated caddy or is it like I've wherever, got a, whatever club you go to, they give you one? Yeah, a lot of times if if I do need a caddy, a lot of times I won't need a caddy. But um, Sometimes if I need a caddy, I'll call the golf course and they'll have local caddies. Local caddies are pretty good. They know the golf course pretty well. But then I've got a buddy here who's going to caddy for me in this one. Um, if we get the Jupiter, Florida, he's going to head down and caddy for me. He's a good friend of mine and he he knows my game well. So he, he'll travel with me and caddy and some stuff. But no, I, I, usually it's just a local caddy um, at the golf course. And they'll, they'll usually have some people available for the tournaments. Um, so you um... – so you, you don't know for sure yet then if you're in Jupiter or you're pretty Not yet. sure you we'll, will be today, today at five o'clock, they're supposed to release everything. So, um, it's the way it works is anybody who's ex- there, there's a certain allocation at each site. So Jupiter has, they probably have 78 people capacity and the local, like the people who are exempt, there's a lot of tour pros who aren't in the U S open, but they're exempt through local. They didn't have to go through local like I did. So they're exempt into the final qualifying. They'll get first dibs. And if they fill up Florida, Jupiter, Florida, before, um, before I get in, which I'm on a wait list based on when I signed up, um, if they fill it up, then I'll get bumped to my second choice. You have to put three choices in. And so I'll get bumped to, I think Atlanta is my second choice. Um, if I don't get Florida, so we'll find out today. Hopefully there's enough alloc- there's enough spots down there and I'm not too far down on the waiting list. I can get in. It, I mean, it's going to really screw up my plans if uh, yeah. they move me out of away from the conference. <laughs> if you go to, if you go to Atlanta, can you still get in the U S open from there? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's just a different location. Yeah. Okay. Do you, ha- so uh, do you know the course well in Florida no. or no, I have never played either one of them. Um, so you have to go do a couple practice rounds and yeah. 
Yeah. So my plan, if it's in Florida, is to fly in on the third, the day before the conference, and then I'll I'll play a practice round on that day, and then uh, head down to Miami, and I'll probably I'll go to the conference. I'll probably try to find somewhere down there to practice a little bit in the meantime, mm-hmm. and, and like you know, sometime during the day uh, while the conference is going on, and then drive back up Sunday, play another practice round at the Bears Club, and then the tournament starts. So the the qualifying is actually on that Monday. So it'll be, be a week. That'll be. Uh, that's, uh, I'm I'm jealous, man. That's that's awesome to be in like that type of competition. That's that's uh that's gonna be so much fun. The yeah, uh, it, you got and you gotta, you know, think that if you're, you know, maybe there's some goodwill out there in the universe where you know if you're saying like I'm gonna put Bitcoin on my bag, all <laughs> that kind of stuff, then. You know, maybe this is the thing that uh, that you know, because Bitcoin is inevitable. Yeah. So, you know, maybe this is the thing the stars are aligning, and it's going to propel you, and it's going to be like, you know, the universe is going to be like, let's let's give him all the help he can get, and let's get him the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Open Championship. You know, let's yeah, let's the, win the uh, whole thing. Uh, Bitcoin Twitter has given me uh, a lot of confidence and support. They're uh, they they're they're saying I'm for sure in. So. If you put up some betting lines, they'd probably get some action on Bitcoin yeah. Twitter. Well, be, I mean, you could, uh, you know, if you, you know, let's just hypothetically, you know, extrapolate this out. Say you get in, you know, to the US Open, you got Bitcoin all over. You're going to get a ton of attention just for that. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's going to, and so you're going to, you'll probably have like 100,000 Bitcoin followers by the end of the weekend, you know, because <laughs> the cyber hornets will just be all over it. Yeah. And then let's just say you win the whole thing and just, you know, are on fire win the tournament, um, you know, then all of a sudden Bitcoin shoots up to, you know, 200,000 that day. Um, you know, maybe it, maybe it's meant to be, you know, it could all <laughs> yeah. be tied in my, yeah. part of my theory of the, my 1% theory that, that Satoshi's from the future and laid this all in, you know, so that it would, it went through it back to the past so that it would, you know, effectively work as best as possible. In 2021, this would be the, you know, have uh, an amateur with Bitcoin all over his bag when the U.S. Open. I think it sounds pretty storybook to me. Yeah, and my all my balls have, uh, they're all number 21. You know, I order them special at the beginning of each year to, like, get through the season. And all of them are, they're probably ones, they're, tight, they're number 21 instead of having, like, one, two, three, or four. They're all number 21. Yeah. And then on the side, uh, there's like a special thing that says HODL uh, on the side. <laughs> so you have the Pro V1 logo on one side and then HODL on the other side. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, oh, you'll be able to get some easy sponsorships too. Cause you know, Jack Mallers is, is, uh, yeah. you know, doing the Indy 500, um, you know, Bitcoin car this weekend. I'm yeah. Sure but I just, I that. can't be dressed like that Indy 500 Bitcoin car looks. I don't think that would work. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a little hot, a little loud. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you gotta be a little, you gotta tone it down a little bit. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, what do you do then? I mean, for the life of an amateur golfer, like you know, what's the business you have uh, that you do? Yeah, so I've got I've got some rental property, and I've got I own, I own a uh, like a little self storage, like a mini storage unit uh, complex, and then I've got a construction company that kind of focuses on like outdoor. Um, decks uh patios pergolas and fences mm-hmm. um so i do that i've got a i've got a crew that kind of runs that and then the the just the other investment stuff um 
yeah, back, back before I kind of got into this stuff, I was working for a construction company and kind of go back to what sent me like one of the, some of the stuff that sent me down the Bitcoin rabbit holes. I started thinking about like, started thinking about myself as a business and mm-hmm. how, and like, if you're a business and you're an individual and you have a job, then you have one customer and you have one product, your one customer is your employee and what your product is your time. And so I wanted to, you know, you started thinking you just about tweet that, that recently. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I was going to say, it was like, I remember reading that and I was like, man, that is perfect. Yeah. You have to diversify. You need to get more products. You need to have a bigger product line. So you need to be selling something other than your time and you need to be selling, you need to have more than one customer. So whether your customers are multiple, multiple employers or whether it's actual customers for a business you own, um, Cause you have to escape that rat race. That rat race is like when you're just constantly selling your time for business, you can't get your, your time for money and the dollar. You can't, it's hard to get ahead. And so I, that, that, that was along the lines of the time I was getting Bitcoin and Bitcoin gave me some financial freedom to do that stuff where I was able to escape having one employer and selling one product to having, you know, I, I kind of wanted to diversify and have multiple streams of income. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's changed the, the way I view like, jobs and employment for sure um yeah well that's that's such good insight for anyone that you know if you're if you're listening to this and haven't like taken the you're you're still you know stuck in one job or whatever that's the way to look at it because um you know i think about there's a my wife always tells me i look like i come up with stories about people i mean i'm a a filmmaker so that's part of what i do yeah but like like i could see somebody on the road and i don't necessarily think badly i'm not judging them but i come up with a story in my head of like what that person you know if they could be in another car they could be crossing the street whatever like uh. what what do they do um but you know there's this there's this one guy in like a, a rental property near us where like i see him walking he walks every day to work at like you know i think he's like a mechanic or something at one of the one of the local you know like jiffy lube or something like that and and you know he lives in this like rental property and you know it's like you know like are you in are you free or are you in prison you know what i mean like right like you you get up every day you go work at this job and you know i mean you have to earn a living and and do something um you can't just sit around and do nothing but you know you you go you, you earn your living you go back you watch jeopardy on tv you you know drink a couple beers, go to bed, wake up, do it again. Then it's like, you know, you got to figure it out. Like, are you, are you happy with that? You know, yeah. is, is that yeah. a prison? Are you enslaved? Yeah. It, it might've been you on Twitter that posted. I saw somebody post that said, um, like it was a quote. It was an old quote saying how you're like, nothing is more enslaving than like the person who thinks they're free or something right. like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't tweet um, that, but. I like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you got end up getting multiple different streams. Yeah, um, I would say like that's probably the number one step that I would suggest for anybody who's trying to want to do that is you don't have to quit your job, but like start a side hustle, do something to like generate some other income. Because if you're a if you have a if you have an employer, your employer is your only customer, they could move on, they could find somebody else, they could fire you at any time, and then you're an insolvent business. So um, you want to diversify to give yourself optionality. And then that also gives you freedom to say no. Like if you, if you're sick of your job and you've got, you've started a couple of side hustles, you're doing other stuff. Um, 
it gives you the optionality to where, Hey, my time's not worth coming here every day, 40 hours a week. You know, I'm, I, I enjoy, I want to go, I want to go play in some golf tournaments or I want to do this or I want to do that. You know, it gives you freedom and flexibility to kind of do what you want. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would even say like, cause with like this podcast I've said multiple times to people, you know, I, I'm not doing this with the hopes of making money. I'm doing it with the hopes of learning as much as I can. And I figured, you know, talking to other Bitcoiners and like getting people's perspectives was the best way to do it. And, yeah. Um, but I mean, if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't an entrepreneur or out on my own doing multiple, multiple things, like I would never have the free, you know what I mean? Imagine having yeah. like a nine to five job and being like, Oh yeah, I, I can spend like, you know, four or five hours a week on a podcast. Like, no, yeah. it's insane. You know? Um, so uh, yeah. So then with being an amateur golfer, like how much are you golfing? How many days a week are you on the course? Uh, right now? Yeah. I would say when I was, when I was trying to play professional golf, it was, you know, that's the one thing they do is you get up and you work and it's just a job. So you're playing every day, you're practicing every day. Uh, for me, it's with a U.S. Open qualifying coming up and we're kind of getting into tournament season. I'm playing three days a week and then practicing another two or three. So there's I usually have a day or two off when I'm not kind of trying to work on my game. Um, but that's not year round for me. That's that's kind of leading up to tournament season and then. Once we get through the summer and then into the fall, I'll kind of ease back a little bit in, into the winter. Um, now, if you're playing professional golf, you got to keep your eight hours a day. You know, it's basically a full time job. You're working at it. Um, that's one of the big differences. So I would say I play like probably three or four, three, probably two or three rounds of golf a week and then practice on a couple more days. Um, so that's, yeah, it, it's definitely racks up an expense though. <laughs> that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. You definitely um, have to have a, a membership somewhere. So I, you know, I've got a, actually have an out of town membership to a golf course. That's 50, 55 minutes away that I play at. And so I get the out of town deal. So it's a little bit cheaper. And then I walk every time I play. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I'm not paying for carts and I'm just playing the flat, uh, monthly dues that I'm paying. So, um, I try to keep my expenses as low as I can so I can stack more sets. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah. if you join in a country club and, oh my God, I don't even know how much it would cost to join like Oakmont or something. Oh like that. yeah. Like any of the country clubs that host. Even if you could, Oakland. you know, yeah. Your initiation fee would be $50,000 at minimum. Yeah. Well, I remember my dad, uh, talking about, you know, describing, how somebody he worked with or something belonged to a country club. And I remember thinking this was the saddest thing ever. Um, but they, you know, we were talking about how like they have the, the minimum meals that you have to consume, you know, yeah. you know like, or you pay for them. So it's whether yeah. or not you eat them, yeah. um, which is like fine, you know, I get it. Um, but yeah, they have to support their restaurant. So yeah. But the, uh, but I remember this, they, it was like a, uh, husband and wife and they have one kid and they went to thanksgiving dinner at the country club and i was like yeah really? like have like their family to go to like uh, <laughs> yeah it's interesting um yeah yeah the country i used to be a member at a, a local country club here that was closer by but yeah there was like yeah you had a food minimum it wasn't much it was it was like 30 or 40 bucks a month you had to spend um Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. On food. So, I mean, if you went up there for a lunch, lunch a couple of days a week, you know, you'd, you'd eat it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, yeah, walking the course has got to be a great way to stay in shape, though, too. Like, it kind of yeah. knocks out, like, your need to really do much exercising beyond. Um, yeah. If you're walking the 18 holes three times a week, it's... it's yeah, and carrying a bag. Yeah, so I, I still... I try to hit the gym each morning and then go out there and walk. But, you know, yeah, I'm trying to walk as much as I can leading up to this because I've got to walk 36 holes in, in Jupiter, Florida. And I, I don't know how that's going to be as far as, like, temperature goes. I, I don't think it's quite as humid as it is here, but it's still... It's going to be in the 90s, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Is your uh, is your buddy practicing carrying a bag for thirty six holes? Because well, the thing about him is he's going to get to ride in a golf cart. Um, oh, he does get to ride in the golf cart. Not all caddies do, but he has a special exemption from the USGA. So when he was uh, eight years old, he he got a blood disease and it almost killed him, and they ended up amputating his legs from his like just below his oh, knees. Okay, and but so he has prosthetics from his knees down, but. He has got he has an exemption from the USGA to to use a cart while he caddies, um, which is cool. But he's a great golfer. He's like he's like a probably a four or five handicap. He shoots in the mid seventies and wow. uh, has prosthetics from his knees now. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. Uh, who was the golfer that had to use a he used a cart and it caused all kinds of controversy in like the nineties. Uh, John Daly's tried it. I don't can't remember if he used one or not, but he did try to request an exemption for one. Oh, it was a he had a back problem. I can't think of his name, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly who it was, though. He had a back problem. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember when that happened. But John Daly, John Daly is a he's a he's not a Pittsburgher, but he fits in with a Pittsburgh yeah. crowd. Um, and he there's John Daly's local down here, so he he grew up right across the Mississippi River in Arkansas. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So you're, yeah. He owns he owns a golf course in Nashville that we played at. Last time I was there, he was there. He was out just hanging out. He was as cool as he could be, you know. Just oh yeah, yeah. He yeah, I think it was right after he found out that he had cancer. Um, he was there, but he was just hanging out and talking to everybody, just laid back. But yeah, there's a lot of local legend stories about John Daly around here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, talk about somebody that can bomb it. Yeah. Um, the uh, so where do you, where do you think uh, we land with uh, with Bitcoin here? Um, you know, we're uh, let's see if where we're at right now. I mean, I won't be re- releasing this until later. I'll probably release this close to the U.S. Open, which is what okay. two weeks, two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, just to kind of be on theme. Yeah. yeah so. Man, I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm too bullish. Um, <laughs> I know there's infinite amount of dollars, and I know there's only 21 million Bitcoin. So, uh, but <laughs> it goes I try up to forever, always, right? Yeah, I try to always think about just long term. Uh, I always try to try to think as long term as can. So when I, when my friends ask me what Bitcoin's doing, is, is I'm always saying, you know, don't worry about it right now. Think about it five years down the road. Where do you think it's going to be five years down the road? Ten years down the road. Um, but so if I need to make a prediction for uh, the qualifier, or I guess we can say the conference, I think we get a conference pump. So, I mean, maybe we'll be back at the uh, forty-eight thousand by the time we uh, we're at the conference. Yeah, and then you think we you think we touch what a hundred this year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't I don't see the tailwind slowing down. I mean, the money printer still still pumping and. Uh, there's still a lot of people learning about Bitcoin. I think a lot of the people who came in with the Dogecoin pumps and all that stuff, they'll, uh, 
they'll eventually be Bitcoiners. You know, as much as you hate to see them come in and, and buying Doge and Doge of the Moon, eventually those people kind of figure it out. They come in for like the speculation nature and then it draw some of them will be drawn to like the monetary policy and the economics of Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. a lot of those people may end up flowing back into Bitcoin and maybe we get a big run up and hit six figure Bitcoin by the end of the year. Um, I also, I got to ask you, how many hole in ones do you have? One. One? Yeah. <laughs> Man, so that means my chances of getting one are like zero. Well, um, you know, I've I, I played with a lot of golfers. I played with one guy who I can beat by 10, 15 shots every time we play, and he's got 13 hole in ones. <laughs> so, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's kind of lucky. It's one of those things where you got, you got to just be lucky, really. I've had, I've had several land right behind the hole, spin back, lip out. I've hit the flag stick four or five times, and I've just had one go in. One of them landed right behind the hole on a part, short par three and spun back and disappeared, and that was the only one. Uh, <laughs> I've torn the hole up on par threes. I've hit the side of the cup and, like, ripped the side of the cup out with the ball. Uh, really? And then it hopped out and didn't go in. So, oh, man. Yeah, it's kind of you got to hit it just right, and it's, they're, they're just extremely rare. And what's the, te- like, what's the technical rule? Like, because, I mean, I know it can bounce out. So, like, it has to hit the bottom of the cup and stay in? Or, like, what yeah. do they say in the rule book? Like, how does it yeah. How's it defined? Yeah, it's wherever your ball comes to rest. So, if if you fly it into the hole and it hits the flag stick, bounces out, it's, you, you know, you play the shot wherever it ends up. Um, yeah, I've played in – I was playing in a tournament two years ago and uh, laid up on a par five and hit, you know, a wedge into, like, a back left pin – and there was a hazard just left and short of the hole. And I flew it and it hit the flag stick like uh, two or three feet up on the stick where it was going to be a pretty close shot. Hits the flag stick and ricochets into the water. And so oh. I had to end up taking a drop and uh, ended up making par. I think I, it was a par five. So I hit three in the water. I took a drop and made the putt for a par. But it was, you know, it was those unfortunate breaks where you get – bad bounces and if you hit if it hits the side of the hole and comes out you know it's you have to play it where it ends up i remember this tournament watching i mean because i fell in love with golf probably when i was like 11 or 12 um and then like in the summertime you know it's just like i love sitting there watching any tournament you know yeah just like on like a nice day like i'd it's like back, like, you know, when you're 12, 13, you start getting like a little bit independent, you know, you're home by yourself, like during the day and whatnot. And like, I used to love, this is really take me back, make me want to do it today. But like, if there was a tournament on, you just had the tournament going, I'd get like plastic golf balls in the backyard and just go like hit them around, come in, watch a little bit of the tournament, eat some lunch, you know, like yeah. go back out. Those are the days. But, um, but I remember this one guy, he hit well there's two funny stories so one was unfortunate for the guy it was a hole in it was a hole in one where he holed right into the cup and it bounced out like but it hit so hard it looked like it hit a parking lot and it like bounced up and it went in the water um so it was a, a from a hole in one into the water but i'll never forget this other one um where like the drive went off towards like the walkway it was, you know, going out of, out of bounds and, um, you know, they have the overhead shot and it kind of like messes with your depth perception and like the way the ball, like where the ball is actually going. And I remember seeing this one guy, it wasn't a huge tournament. So, you know, there's not, you know, there's just like stray people like walking along there. Yeah. And this guy was just walking 
and I'm like trying to judge. I'm like, oh my god, I think this guy's gonna get hit by the ball. Um, and he has no idea. He's not looking where the ball is coming. But sure enough, it landed, and like it was probably like a foot and a half in front of him. It landed and bounced up and hit him right in the balls, like just <laughs> crushed him. And it was just like I remember seeing that on like live TV on like ESPN or something, being yeah. like, <gasps> like, <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. It was just like one of those things where you're like. I can't believe that just happened. And like, nobody's going to believe it, you know? Yeah. Like maybe I saw like a replay of it one time and, and that was it. Like, but I didn't have a smartphone to record it or anything, you know, like that. Yeah. Um, there was a, a Rory McElroy hit a drive right one time and it went, it landed, it went through some trees and ended up in a guy's pocket. <laughs> it, it went into the guy's pocket and he had to go in there and get a rules official and figure out where to drop it <laughs> to take it out of the guy's pocket it was that was pretty funny so what if the guy walked with it in his pocket and then laid down next to the hole and had it roll out of his pocket and into the hole what know. happens then yeah i'd have to get a rules official for that one i don't know the answer to that it's what the guy ended up doing is i think he just stood there still until Rory got there and then he took the ball out of his pocket and Rory dropped it where the guy's like just underneath his pocket where his foot was. So the guy had to move out of the way and then he took a drop. But yeah, that's wild. That's wild. What's the, what's the craziest thing you've ever had to hit off of? Hit off of, um, I mean, I've, you know, I've seen people hitting them off grandstands. Was that, was that Dustin Johnson a couple of years ago? Yeah. Phil Mickelson's done that plenty of times. Um, well, the craziest shot I've ever hit was actually out of the clubhouse one day on a, we were just had a bet that we could <laughs> hit a shot out of the clubhouse doors. You know, it's um, 10 cup style or no, it's yeah. Happy Gilmore. No, it was 10 cup where he hit it out of the, hit it out of the doors. Um, I, I mean, I've hit it off the cart path plenty of times of I've, I've had my ball settle down like in a tree, not like too high up and I've hit chipped it out of a tree before. Um, <laughs> that's better than taking the penalty. Yeah, you know, if you can just advance it back to the fairway, if you can just get it out of there, then if you take the penalty, you're losing a shot and you're still having a drop right there. So if you yeah. can just it, – it's risky because you could miss the ball or you could – you know, it could bounce a weird way. But, um, yeah, that's probably the weirdest thing I've ever done. Is I, I, I had to climb up. It, was, it wasn't high off the ground, but it was high. It was like I was having to hit it like a baseball shot, just chip it yeah, out of this yeah. bush, but it was up in the air. The uh, Are you allowed to do the happy Gilmore? Because I did – I. Being a hockey player, I did the Happy Gilmore for like the first year and a half that I played golf. (laughs) And then I got yelled at once I got to like a good course, like on the first tee. Like I got so casual with it that like that's just how I did. Lined up and, you know, ran up and I was getting ready to do that. And the, you know, the course official or whatever they're called, the ranger, you know, he was like, you know, and I was like, looked over and he was like, we don't do that. And I was like, but, but. I was like, trust me, I'll, I'll hit it like normal, you know? And he was like, yeah. no. And then I literally, like, after that, I was like, all right, I'm not going to go through that again because it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Um, no, there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't do it. Yeah, you can do that. You can huh. you can run up and hit it if you want to, yeah. Oh, uh, you, uh, you should do that at the U.S. Open. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it happen the other – it wasn't too long ago. Somebody did it in a tournament. Uh, went up, and I was on the first tee in a PGA event. And they had where they were kind of either way back or they had made the cut, but they had played bad on Saturday. And I can't remember who did it, but they the announcer was talking and he was it looked like he was lining up a shot and he just stepped right into it and ripped it down the fairway. <laughs> it's probably the best shot he hit all week. Oh, everybody, you know, the fans loved it. They got a huge kick out of stuff like that. You know, people doing stuff weird. 
how many people will be at the qualifier? Like, is there a decent crowd for that? Um, yeah, probably. I, I'm not sure exactly. Last time we had one of these, uh, we used to have one in Memphis that was pretty close by, and I used to go out there and watch. Um, and it usually there's there's a few people on each hole kind of watching, or people will follow certain groups. And, it, you know, it depends on who you get paired with, too, depending you know, how many people will be following you. Because in these qualifiers – you could get paired with like pretty big name tour pros, like people who are who have played on tour in the past and been successful, or people who are just kind of coming up who aren't aren't quite qualified for the U.S. Open yet. They'll all be playing in these qualifiers, and it being at the Bears Club, you know, that, the Bears Club is where like Roy McIlroy plays, and there's like a few other Keegan Bradley, I think, is down there. There's a few pretty big name tour pros who live there. That's where they practice and play. So. Um, if they're not playing in Ohio where the PGA tour event, they'll probably be at this, this qualifier at the bears club and just uh, watching or no, they'll be there. They'll be playing in it. Well, not, not they'll just play just to play, but you know, some of those, some of those tour pros who are down there, they'll be playing in it to qualify for the U S open. You know, I could be paired. Uh, with them. Yeah. Who's the best uh, golfer you ever played with? The best golfer I've or ever biggest played name with. or. Um, you know, I don't know. It, uh, really, the best golfers that I've played with have been just really good amateurs. Like, so there's two guys who are from Tennessee, uh, Danny Green and Tim Jackson. And they're basically, if you look them up and look up their history, they're some of the best amateur golfers to ever play amateur golf. Like, if their record, they won. Uh, Danny won the U.S. Mid-Am. He finished runner-up in the U.S. Am. He played in the Masters twice. Oh, He's wow. Played, uh, he played in 60, 60-something 60 USGA events, like won every major amateur golf tournament in the country. Uh, Tim Jackson did the same thing. He played the Masters twice, um, played on a couple of Walker Cup teams. But those guys, they're, they're a little older now. Both of them are like in their late 50s, early 60s. And, but th- th- like just playing with those, I play with them a lot in amateur tournaments and they're like just seeing how they play the game, how they approach the game uh, and knowing like what they've done. They've traveled across the, you know, really across the whole world playing competitive golf as an amateur. And those guys are unbelievable. But um, the people like some of these young college players are pretty dang impressive playing with those guys and how far they hit it. Uh, mm-hmm. They're really good. Some of those have a lot of a lot of potential, but um yeah, I can't think of any like just the best player I've ever played with. I don't um, played with quite a few tour pros. I played with uh, a guy who won the big break, um, Jimmy Brandt. We we got paired together in a tournament. He ended up winning the big break a couple of years later. Uh, he was good, but yeah, I, mean, I haven't played with any really big name stars or anything. Well, if you get paired with Rory, I think that would be yeah. Rory will be he'll be. Uh, He'll be through local or he'll be through final. So if I get paired with him, it'd have to be during the US Open and have to be like on Saturday. So I'd have to make the cut and then play good enough to get to be paired with him. Well, but, if you make yeah. if you make the cut, then you can stack a lot of sats, right? Well, I, I won't be able to collect any money as an amateur unless I turn Wait, so you so if you're an amateur, <clears throat> no matter how well you do, yeah. Seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of gift gift shop credit. So if I won the US Open. Uh, whatever the prize money is, two million. I would be able to collect seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of uh, worth of gift shop credit. Would you turn pro to take the two million? 
Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to think about that after I get through this final qualifying. Because I mean, I, think yeah, I'd have to de- you, I don't know when you, I'd have to declare though. Yeah, so you'd have to declare, and then that's otherwise you get seven hundred and fifty dollars yeah. worth of gold. Yeah, you have to. I would have to declare pro before the tournament. I think. Has it? Has any amateur won a major? Yeah, yeah. So back in early nineteen hundreds, like amateur golfers were were kind of different. You know, it was, it was a different mindset. Like the pros were just like the working club professionals, the people who worked and taught in golf. And then the amateurs were like, now I don't know. It was it was different. You know, the amateurs were a lot more competitive. They were almost better than the pros. And so there was, you know, there's been five or six amateurs win the U.S. Open, but this was the last one to do it was a long time ago. You know, Phil Mickelson, when he first came out, his first win on the PGA Tour, he was an amateur. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So there has been some to do it, but it's been a long time since anybody's, you know, um, competed at that level in a in a major championship. Do you can you qualify for other PGA events as an amateur? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you can you can go do any any uh, Monday qualifying for like a PGA Tour event, and then to get in. So at the U.S. Open, I think the low amateur gets an invite to the Masters. So if you so if I was to qualify for the U.S. Open and then make it through and finish low amateur, I would get an invitation to play in the Masters next year. Um, and then there's other ways to qualify for different tournaments. So you can, you can pretty much qualify. I think the PGA championship is all PGA professionals. They don't, there's no amateurs that play in that, but, um, most other tournaments, there's all, there's an avenue for an amateur to play in it. Is it, have you ever played in a PGA tournament? No, no. I've tried to qualify for when they used to have the FedEx St. Jude in Memphis. I tried to qualify for it once or twice. And then, um, the, and then I've tried to qualify for the U.S. Open a couple of times, but um, now they changed that one. Now that's a World Golf Championship in Memphis, so they don't have qualifying for it. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the biggest tournaments that I've played in as far as professional golf were like just the mini tour events and Hooters Tour, um, some of those like decent golf. I mean, there were there was good golfers that played in those, but it wasn't PGA Tour level. I'm going to, I got to do, I got to do a tournament just to like, I got to find one just to be like, I was in a tournament, you know? I mean? Yeah. And there's probably pl- plenty of local tournaments around where you are. You just go sign up as an amateur. They probably ask for you for a handicap. So you may have to establish a handicap. How do you do that? <clears throat> you just enter scores. So you go play and then keep up, you know, keep track of your score. And then there's like a, the USGA does the handicapping system. And so you would establish, you just log in, you create an account and then you, post all your scores into a handicap system and it spits out like if you're scratch you're a zero you know if you're a a bogey golfer you're an 18 handicap and then you just you know you probably there's limits on handicap for dinner tournament so to sign up for the u.s open i think you have to be like a minimum you have to be a two so you can't be above a two um but anybody can sign up to play in it huh that's uh that's pretty wild and then you have to wear like the long pants you can't wear shorts well i I get to wear shorts all the way up until the u.s open so if i make it to the u.s open then i'll have to wear shorts but for the qualifying i can wear shorts okay because i mean man that's the only downside to i've always thought it's like man how they wear the long pants like yeah you know that would be brutal because even like wearing like you know nice shorts i'm like sweating to death like compared to (laughs) you know 
what I would yeah, I want to make that one of my life goals is that I could wear shorts every day. That was like, you know, if I knew I could wear shorts every day and uh, that would mean like I was living somewhere warm and I didn't have like a job that required me to wear pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I actually, I think from beginning of junior year until my end of my senior year of high school, I didn't wear long pants. Um, like, you know, other than like a, like a formal dance or, you know, like a yeah. you know, wedding or something like that. But uh, yeah, I, I refused. I didn't like the way that the pants wrinkled up around my, my feet and ankles. I just, yeah. it was like uncomfortable to me. So yeah. And in the, in the wintertime, it'd be snow outside and uh, I'd be walking into school with shorts on. Cause, um, and I also too, my, I still do that pretty frequently. My wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, if I, like I'll be freezing for like 30 seconds in the parking lot. Yeah. And then I'm going to be sweating to death inside target. Like I'm going to die in there yeah. because it's so hot. Yeah. Um, so I'm not wearing, I always store, I want to have like air conditioned pants. That'd be like my <laughs> one invention. Yeah. Um, if I ever invent something, it'll be air conditioned pants. Um, yeah. There you go. The, uh, but uh, well, yeah, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to be, something because i don't even know how to put spin on the ball like that's the thing like i have no idea like i can when i'm chipping it's just trying to place it in a certain area on the ball like i, yeah. I you know somebody asked me like how do you put put backspin on i was like i have no idea i've done it accidentally so, before the way i think about like chipping and putting spin on it is if you ever played ping pong mm-hmm. you know how you put backspin on it or you put top spin on it so yeah. you're doing the same thing you're doing it with a golf club and the ball is sitting on the ground and so to put spin on it, you have to cut, you know, you have to cut underneath it, but you have to hit it with a downward blow. So you can't try to scoop up on it. You have to hit it in a downward strike and that puts the backspin on it. But you're okay. trying to swipe the face down the backside of the ball. So then you're not going to have a huge follow through on a backspin on when you're getting backspin, right? Yeah. Like I mean, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to, you're going to still, you're going to have a down downward blow, but then you're going to follow through the same but way. It'll just be a little different. You're not trying to scoop it off the ground. You're, you're well, really I don't try to, yeah, I don't try to scoop anything off the ground. So all of my shots, you know, you're going to come in with a descending blow and strike the back of the ball and then follow through. But you know, you never try to chip up on it. You know, if you're chipping, you're always going to be hitting it with a downward blow. Okay. Or so a, you're always pretty level blow. So you're always getting the the divot and yeah, they're not. You shouldn't have too much of a divot when you chip. It should. You should sweep the top of the grass. You know, you're catching the ball, but you're sweeping the grass. Okay, so you're not digging into the dirt. No, like, not digging. You're not the dirt. sitting there like, no. boom. You know. Yeah, and, no. Um, like a like a sand trap. In a sand trap, and I'm I'm lost. I can't. I don't even know. Sand trap. Just open the open the club face wide open. Uh, you know, not wide open, but open the club face. You know, open your stance, and then you just want to try to like slap the back of the club onto the sand and go through the sand, you know, a few inches behind the ball. You want, you want the sand to actually lift the golf ball out of the hole. So you don't actually hit the ball. No, you don't actually hit the ball. You hit, you've, you almost, you're trying to like swipe the club under the ball with a wide open face hit, like hitting the back of the sand or hitting the back of the club to the sand and letting the club go under the ball. And then the sand lifts the ball out of the, out of the bunker. Wow. Wow. Um, all right. Well, hey, Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Uh, and sorry that we had to reschedule with the the air conditioner issue, but I didn't. No, no worries. I didn't want to have the YouTube audience have to watch me like sweat to death and um <laughs> and uh and all that. So, um, but yeah, where can people find you? You know, let them let them know where they can find find you for 
to uh, Bitcoin, but also, you know, I'm sure your golf uh, gets gets updated there. Yeah. So just jump on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is BTC Aaron. That's BTC A-A-R-O-N. Um, and that's pretty much it. I, I, I post updates about what what's going on with golf tournaments a lot. And uh, and then I mostly just post about random thoughts I have about Twitter. I mean, about Bitcoin. So if you want to hear my thoughts about Bitcoin and keep me up, keep updated on my golf stuff and just hit me up on Twitter. DMs are open if you ever want to have a conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have to, one of these times I'm heading out here for a little bit, but whenever I get back and get settled, uh, I want to try the, the Twitter spaces. Um, oh, yeah. So if I ever do a Twitter spaces or something, I'll like invite you in, like just, okay. just see, you know, just start talking about Bitcoin see what people say. All right. Um, sounds good. All right, man. Well, good luck uh, at uh, in in uh, you know. Well, hopefully, you know, hearing that you're going to be in Jupiter and you know, yeah. Um, and uh, and good luck uh, if if you're in the U.S. Open, then we want to we want to see that Bitcoin everywhere. All right, <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy just getting on and chatting about Bitcoin. I can do it all day and golf, Bitcoin and golf. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, yeah. These are two things that I could talk about for probably like eight hours and two things yeah. my wife does not want to talk about for eight hours that so, sounds about uh, right yeah, yeah so we that uh it kills two birds with one stone because now whenever we get we're driving down to the to the beach today so whenever we get in the car she won't be uh having to listen to me talk about bitcoin and golf <laughs> too much all right so, all right man well thanks for coming on we'll have you uh we'll have you on at some point again all right sounds good